Welcome to another episode of Life Stories by Congo Kid, where I share my experiences of growing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. My hope is you find knowledge, entertainment, information, and insight of another culture and a new perspective of the Congolese people and Africa. One of the first things said to someone you meet for the first time is, where are you from? Or when you meet a stranger and start a discussion and move towards getting more acquainted, the question, where are you from, comes up. Knowing where someone is from will tell a lot about that person. Cultural assumptions, behavioral assumptions, or just general social assumptions can be gleaned from where someone is from or grew up. You look at someone differently and draw different conclusions and make assumptions about someone if they said they were, say, from Dallas, Texas, or Duluth, Minnesota, or Los Angeles, California, or Biloxi, Mississippi. So, Don, where are you from? I'm from Mission Viejo in Southern California. So, Darren, where are you from? Southern California. Orange County, Irvine, where I grew up, born in Bellflower, California. Hi, Art. Where are you from? Orange County, California. Sam, where are you from? I'm from Persia. Where are you from, Jim? Newport Beach. Evan, where are you from? San Diego. Where are you from? Washington, D.C. Some folks elaborate more when asked that question because the question isn't so simple. Tim, where are you from? Well, Jeff, I grew up in a, uh, a small mountain town in Colorado called Evergreen. It's about 45 minutes west of Denver, up in the foothills. It was a, a mix of opulence and poverty, and uh, you know, it was, it was mountain town. We, we were all skiers, and to my knowledge, only one famous person ever came from Evergreen, and uh, that person actually used to babysit my brother and myself, and it was none other than John Hinckley, the guy that tried to assassinate President Reagan. That's where I came from, a small mountain town in Colorado. Michelle. Where are you from? There's not a one-word answer to that question. I'm a bit of a hogmash from many places. I've been in California for 20 years now, uh, born and grew up on the East Coast, Delaware, Virginia, North Carolina. From there, I lived in Colorado. I've lived in Hong Kong and then settled here, California, where I definitely say is my home and perhaps I'm more from here than anywhere. But what about the person that has roots in different places due to moving around, especially from a foreign country? Catherine, where are you from? That's a difficult question to answer because I was born and raised in the Philippines, but my parents are Chinese and came to U.S. when I was uh, 18. And I've lived longer here in the U.S., so I'm not sure. <laughs> so, Magdalena, where are you from? I grew up in Poland, and I was 23 when I came here to America 20 years ago. And I feel like life here every day reminds me that I'm more Polish than American. I mean, I speak Polish, I have Polish culture, I have Polish accent, my kids are fluent in Polish. 
most of my friends are Polish. I'm Catholic. You know, 95% of, Poli- of people in Poland are Catholics. So I consider myself very Polish. But every time when I go back to visit my parents, I'm thinking, geez, I cannot believe I'm from here. I've soaked up the American culture to the point that I don't belong there anymore. So for a very long time, I felt like I was in limbo. I felt I have somehow lost my connection with my Polish roots, but yet um, I wasn't American enough to feel comfortable here. Now, since I have my children, they go to school here, so I'm growing roots. America is starting to feel like home for me. I know military kids that move constantly as their parents get reassigned to various bases or assignments. This could be both nationally or internationally. Or a diplomat family that spends years overseas. Or how about a missionary kid that grew up in Europe, Asia, or Africa? We call these military, diplomat, or missionary kids that grew up in another country, third culture kids, or the acronym TCK. There are a lot of us out there, and there are numerous books on that topic of growing up as a TCK. TCKs face all sorts of challenges growing up, and many books have been written about the downside of being a third culture kid. These include social identity issues, cultural identity issues, fitting in in their foreign country as well as their home country, and being understood by anybody. But with these childhood challenges also comes enrichment, character, maturity, multicultural understanding, adaptability, cultural appreciation, a unique worldview, and learning other languages. A good definition I found states, a third culture kid is a person who has spent a significant part of his or her developmental years outside the parent's culture. A TCK builds relationships from all the cultures while not having full ownership of any. Although elements from each culture are assimilated into the TCK's life experience, the sense of belonging is in relationship to others of similar background. And that was put together by Mr. Pollock and Ruth E. Van Renken in 1999. I actually read one of Ruth's books. So let's summarize some of the good things and some of the bad things that come out of being a third culture kid. The cons. You lack a home base meaning it's hard for TCKs to have an identity of where they are from or what nationality they truly are, which can create a feeling of emptiness. The rootless and restless syndrome of, I don't belong anywhere. There's also the emotional upset of having to say goodbye to people and places on a regular basis. Also, finding it difficult to make new connections and friends. What's the point if we're going to move on again anyways very, very soon? You also have separation anxiety, loneliness, and isolation. The pros of being a TCK are as follows. Greater understanding of other cultures, which builds sensitivity and awareness. This includes flexibility, tolerance, and respect. They tend to be reflective thinkers, knowing that there are many ways to approach a given situation and that their way may not always be the best way. They're also quick and adaptable thinkers who are used to thinking outside the box, and they bring strong practical skills, observational, listening, cross-cultural, social, and linguistic skills. Third culture kids have portable roots 
as we've learned to fit in anywhere. We had to. For example, I lived in 15 different homes by the time I graduated from high school. 15! Many of my stops of my childhood were only a year in a single place. Other stops were longer. Yet every time we moved homes or to a new town, I had to learn to leave friends, make new friends, and try to fit in. My folks went to Congo in 1965 and took me along, a wee lad of only three years of age. Dad was a school teacher and mom was a bookkeeper. Being a missionary kid in Africa meant I was an outsider, but as I adapted and embraced the Congolese culture and language, I began to belong. Upon return to the U.S. for first grade, I was again an outsider. I didn't fit in. How could I? All my memories were of my life in Africa. My mom tells a story of me on the return flight to the U.S. in 1968, commenting at the reading lights that were mounted to the airline seat, saying, Hey, Mom, there's a light plant in the seat. As a six-year-old, I knew that we turned on a diesel generator light plant every night to create electricity. I spent second grade in Belgium while my folks learned French. No bilingual classes for me. They tossed me in with the other Belgian second graders. We call it full immersion. I was an American that spoke English and Lingala, a local Congolese language I'd learned. And I was supposed to fit in at a French-speaking school in Brussels, Belgium? Really? Back to Africa for third grade through sixth grade, and then to the U.S. for seventh grade. Back to Congo for eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, and then back to the States for my junior year of high school. I was short, had a hairstyle that was not current, didn't know anybody, was way out of the loop with popular culture and music and what other high schoolers were hip to. And yet I had to try to fit in. That was a tough year. Then back to Congo for my senior year of high school only to turn around and leave my family to return for college before I turned 18. So imagine the mental gymnastics I would have to go through, searching for the answer when someone wanted to know, where are you from? I had one foot in Congo and one in America. Who was I? What was I? A difficult question to answer indeed. The first thing I think about is that that's a difficult question, and it has always been a difficult question. And it's a difficult question for me because by the time I was nine years old, my family had lived in six different places on three different continents in three different countries or four different countries if you count Texas. That was Doug Thorpe, Ph.D. He was a few years older than me growing up in Congo. After college and then seminary, he was then ordained, pastored a church, and he now currently is a pastoral counselor in Virginia. So the first thought that comes to mind is who's asking and why? And is it going to be worth the effort, right? Because it's a bit of a complicated story. So I always end up looking at the person, looking at them in the eyes and trying to do an assessment like, is this worth the 10 to 15 minutes it's going to take to explain that? Or do I just come up with an abbreviated version that gets you there fast, short and sweet? That was Dan Sims, an industrial designer that was born and raised in Japan. He too, the son of missionary parents. Aside from spending two years in the U.S., he grew up entirely in Japan, learning the language and the culture. He currently resides in Southern California. So 
So I think that the less time that has elapsed from being in a foreign country, it's in some ways harder to answer the question and share that one is from Congo or Japan or whatever country you grew up in. As one gets older, one plants roots in the U.S. and thus can more easily answer the question from where one is from. So I think it was easier in one way because back then it was less complicated. Like all my formative years were spent in Japan pretty much. And usually once I explained that to someone, it kind of painted the picture of why I was a bit different. You know, I had different body language. My clothes style was a little bit off. My taste in music was different. My sense of humor was different. So that kind of completed the picture for somebody who might not have understood why that was. I think the older I get, I think we've moved around a lot and lived in a lot of different places. And so the story gets more and more complicated to tell. And, you know, it involves other locations in the United States. It includes other locations overseas. And it's quite a big variety. So it's harder in some ways now. It was easier factually in terms of the facts of the matter, but it was more difficult emotionally back then because it, it got so tangled up with my desire to fit in, but at the same time to be special. Doug mentioned that he didn't feel telling people where he was from as a child worked to his benefit. For me, it was the opposite. When thrown into a new environment like my high school, a unique background was my social key or ticket to gain access to acceptance. People were drawn to this kid from Congo that spoke three languages, told stories of eating interesting food, who had unique pets and lived an adventurous life. So for me, while being the odd duck in the group, my stories brought inclusion, attention, and acceptance. So I guess in my case, it gave me a natural tendency to seek out and gravitate toward other Asian kids, students at school and stuff. So particularly in Cincinnati at the time, there weren't that many Asian kids around. And so sometimes if there was someone, I would always be curious, like, hmm, I wonder if they're Japanese. And, and then, you know, I'd hang around long enough to see if they had an accent or something or body language or, or something. And then if they did, then I might spring a few words. And it, it was kind of fun in that way. To me, it gave me sort of a interest in people who were from other places. And so I used that as kind of an icebreaker. TCKs also are often labeled or put into a box. My dad was a missionary. And so when you're dealing with people who are not, you know, particularly religious or, or not involved in any kind of faith, that's a very foreign concept to them. They don't really know what that's like. And it's hard for them to relate to. So sometimes it would shut people down or they wouldn't quite know how to respond or they would change the subject. Of course, the question is always, well, was your dad a diplomat or was he an executive in a business uh, that, that had business in Japan or were they in the military? Those are the three things that always pop up. So, you know, in that case, I would say, no, he was a pastor. And then when you say pastor, that seems to be something that people here can relate to versus missionary. Being in my 20s and fresh from Congo, my identity was not fully established yet. 
I was adapting to the American culture and society, was trying to determine who I was, yet clung to what I knew and understood from my Congolese upbringing. Sometimes sharing about one's formative years brought positive results. I would say on the positive side, you learn to adapt. You know, even as a kid, we moved a lot. So, you know, we lived in Japan, we moved to the States, lived there two years, moved back to Japan. And, you know, while my parents were looking for a new location to build a church and land to purchase and all those types of things, we moved from place to place and we were house-sitting other missionaries' homes. So there was just a lot of moving. And with the moving, you know, you always have to make new friends. You Fortunately, I went to the same school from third grade on, but you learn to be adaptable. And, you know, you learn to adapt to different cultures and you learn to read the people you're with and then try to find relatable things. The Japanese culture is very team-oriented, about group-oriented, I should say. It's not about the rugged individual. It's more about what can we find in common and, and how can we find things we relate to together. I think that's a helpful mindset for me to have because we've lived in a lot of different places with different people. Sometimes sharing about growing up overseas brought negative results. It hindered them, not severely, but it always hindered them. My peers typically thought it was weird that I had lived in such a faraway place, and I was at a real disadvantage in terms of my limited knowledge of American popular culture. I remember reading French-derived place names in the United States and pronouncing them in a French mode. So the capital of Iowa, you know, pronouncing that Daimuan, or there's a, a small town in southwestern Wisconsin that in French would be Prairie du Chien, the prairie of the dog. But of course, in Wisconsin, they call it Prairie du Chien. And so I got laughed at for not knowing how to pronounce these place names. And I wanted to say, actually, I'm the only one in this car right now who knows how to pronounce it properly. But that got no traction. As time has progressed and decades have passed since being in the country of our growing up, it's obviously easier to define our roots and know our identity. In my early 20s, I'd spent more time in a foreign country than in the States. But now, in my late 50s, with a career, having lived in the same area for 35 years, raised a family, and it having been almost 40 years since I've lived overseas, the question, where are you from, brings less of a hesitation to my mind when it is asked. Congo was home because Congo was the stable place in my life. Congo was the house my family always went back to. It was the place where I was with my best friends, and it was the place where I felt most relaxed at school and most able to just be me. Chicago was a place that we came back to, but always with a sense that this was temporary. I think my identity and my sense of home really changed when I graduated from seminary and started serving as a pastor because then I was no longer a student. I was an established professional living out my vocation, and the place where I lived was my home. Dan has a similar perspective. I'd say probably about the time that 
I started a family and had lived in the U.S. for a while kind of as an adult. But, you know, I think that the more you live in the States, I always realized that would, I would probably not ever trade it for anything. And in fact, I think it's given me a longing in life to, they almost have a, like an obsession with traveling and exploring and seeing new places. Similar to Dan and Doug, I have several criteria for deciding what to share and to whom I share it with. First, is it relevant to the setting? Will the other person care? Am I in a mood to tell the same stories I've told a million times and answer the same questions? Am I intimate enough with that person to share a dimension of me that they probably won't understand? Will they look differently at me once they know? Will I be labeled and put into a box? That's changed a little bit over the years. Now people are, especially my age peers, are genuinely interested. So I enjoy satisfying their interest. I used to love to say when, probably when I was a teenager, to say to people, now to answer the question that I know you're going to ask, yes, it is hot in Africa. Yes, there are poisonous snakes. But no, I've never been bitten by one. Dan further explains. To me, it was a really good litmus test to get an idea about other people and what kind of people the listener is, right? So there were two groups. One group, when you start to tell them about where you were from or the fact that you were a third culture kid, their eyes would glaze over and they're like, oh, I'm not going to relate to this guy at all. I'm not interested. This is kind of weird. Okay. And that's the end of the conversation where... Others would be very curious and start asking probing questions about like, so what was that like? And tell me about that. And actually, that's probably the reason I ended up with my wife, because she was one of the few who actually was seems genuinely interested. And I probably overloaded her with a bunch of more information that she ever wanted to know. But she was patient and sat through it all and continued to be interested. About five years ago, my company went out to lunch to celebrate a big $65 million real estate deal with our new partners. It was a formal affair where the principals of my company were meeting the principals of our partner for the first time. I was the lowest man on the totem pole at that luncheon. So we started going around the table, sharing a bit about our education, background, experience, designations, and history in the business. Then it became my turn. So I said I'd spent some time in Florida as a kid, gone to college in the Chicago area, relocated to California right after graduation, was married, had two kids, and then gave a brief summary of my professional experience and credentials. I turned to my associate when I was done so he could give his brief bio. The boss's wife interrupted and said, Jeff, why don't you tell them where you're really from? So again, I said that I'd spent some time in Florida growing up. I talked about my college and embellished it a little bit with my soccer career, went on about moving to California, and so on. Again, when I was done, I turned my head to my associate for him to give his spiel. My boss's wife again leaned forward and said, Jeff, why don't you tell them where you're really from? Tell them you're from Congo. Oh, boy. Here we go again. Immediately, the question started. What was it like growing up in Congo? What kind of food did you eat? Were you scared of wild animals? Was it safe? And the same questions kept coming and coming. 
So for the next half hour, I tried to grab bites of my salmon salad. I answered questions, told stories, the same ones I've told a million times, and continued on for the entire duration of the lunch. This professional lunch to celebrate the new partnership and the deal, and to get a feel for each other and our new business partners, unfortunately turned into the Congo Story Show. Upon return to the office, I gathered my nerve and I approached the boss's wife, and I asked her to please never do that again. But she responded, Jeff, it's so fascinating and interesting. Yes, I know it is, but that's not the point. This was the wrong spot to share all those stories. I didn't like being in the spotlight and stealing the show. It was supposed to be my owner's show with their new partner. And instead, I was talking about eating flying ants, getting stuck in mud holes, doing work in refugee camps in Rwanda, and telling them about teaching high school chemistry in French as a 20-year-old kid. So I've shared this lunch story to five people, including two that were in attendance. I asked them if they concurred that it was inappropriate for me to have shared about Congo in that venue and stolen the show, and asked if they understood my sentiments of not wanting to have it played out the way it did. Did they understand my feelings? Did they concur that it wasn't the right place to share about my formative years? Well, I have to say that five out of five said they understood how I felt in not wanting to be the center of attention and how it was troubling to me. But they all said it was totally appropriate to share what I did in that business lunch setting. What? Well, one person felt that if the partners hadn't wanted to continue the topic, they could have shifted on to our business venture after a few questions had been answered. The rest said that business is about relationships, and my stories showed my humanity and depth as a person. It also showed the new partners that my owners had interesting and diverse people on their team, and this unique dimension would be remembered by them well after lunch was over. So I know my poll is five for five, saying it was fine for me to have been in the spotlight talking about my childhood. But let's say there were aspects of my growing up that were not so good, and having to revisit that part of my life would have been painful. They wouldn't understand. All they would have thought about was the fun, interesting, unique stories. Though all five said they understood my desire to have been under the radar that luncheon, I'm not sure they truly do. They're all one culture kids. I'm a third culture kid with my heart in two places. And being from Congo and put on the spot like that lunch is way more than having a repertoire of exciting and fascinating stories. So I can relate much more easily to people from all over the world, not just Congo, that have immigrated to America or who have cross-cultural experience. And I don't think that someone from a single culture can understand how a TCK like me can fit in here in the U.S. and just as easily in Congo. TCKs are misunderstood. I think in some ways things are getting better, right? In general, like the population is much more globally minded today than it ever was before. And I think I had more hesitancy before because I would worry about cringeworthy questions and stereotypes and things that would indicate that people didn't really know much about where you're from or had very strange ideas about so it used to be, oh, I grew up in Japan. Oh, so you knew, you know, Kung Fu. It's like, well, no, I don't. You know, well, doesn't everybody in Japan do Kung Fu? No, some people study karate in school, but not your usual things. We are put into a box and stereotyped, unfortunately. Yet we can still be part of both cultures. 
Though I don't believe a person that has not lived overseas or in another culture can truly understand what it is like, Dan and Doug try to give the listener a few examples to help understand what it is to be a third culture kid. For the longest time, I worked in the auto industry and working with Mitsubishi. And so when I was with Chrysler, I was kind of engaging with Mitsubishi people using my language. And so it was kind of funny. They would sort of tease me like, I don't know if, you know, you're one of us or one of them, which is kind of a little bit, a little kind of racist now that I think back to it. But I, I liked that being able to straddle both cultures. Right. And then when I worked at P&G, even though I was in Singapore, we did do this big workshop in Japan with the team from Japan and dealing with Japanese consumers and things. And so I was able to engage on a very deep level with the Japanese team because I spoke the language and, you know, immediately reverted back to this person who I was years before. And, you know, you, you probably experienced the same thing. Your body language changes, your, even the way you laugh, you know, everything. You, you become a little bit like this person who's locked into your shell, right? And, you know, you, you can come out every now and then. So that's been there. And then I, I think in my personal, so that's work context. It's funny then when my wife and I came back from Singapore and we had a worked in Boston, we just naturally, we were looking for churches to go to and, and visiting a lot of different churches in the area. And we naturally gravitated toward this one church. And that, you know, when we sat up and kind of looked around, we realized that the church was 80% Asian and felt very at home there. But again, that was another learning experience for me because Asians in Asia and Asians in America who are immigrants, second generation, first generation, have a very different experience. So you, you have to learn your way into, you know, what does empathy look like? And sometimes you would step into areas that you weren't intending to offend people, but they might take offense at what you're asking, right? And so that was, a, that was kind of an interesting learning experience. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so difficult to really give them a, a flavor, especially of that sense of your heart belonging in two different places and the way you you kind of your ears perk up when you hear news of Congo immediately and you can talk about it, but I don't have the words for really giving people a feel for it. I think it's harder the less variety a person has had in their life. So a native Richmonder who grew up here, graduated from high school here, went to college here, and has lived here all their life. I don't know how you're going to explain to that in a way that, that they'll really relate. So is Congo part of my makeup, part of my identity? especially now in my late 50s? I don't really think so, and I'll tell you why. I went back to Congo in 2013 for several weeks. Upon my return, my absence came up in phone calls with associates, brokers, and vendors that I do business with. They'd ask where I'd gone on vacation, and I responded, Congo. Congo? What were you doing there? Well, I grew up there, so I was going home in a way. What? I never knew you grew up in Congo. Why didn't you ever say anything? So, of course, I had to give the requisite canned answers and stories. Believe it or not, I was actually proud of the fact that half the folks I'd worked with over the past 20 years had no idea of my childhood experience. That proved to me that I don't wear my upbringing as a badge or identity pin to make me special. That made me happy to know people had learned to accept me for who I am 
and not from my unique background. TCKs do bring different experiences and traits that benefit them as they live life. You know, I was in college and, you know, it was kind of part of my identity that I was this weird kid that grew up in Japan. Some of my friends started to embrace that. And then, you know, I remember one time in particular, they were going to have a party. Like, hey, we should have a party. Let's all get together. And and then they go, hey, Sims, why don't you make some Japanese food? And so I thought, well, hey, you know, so we, being electric skillet, you can make sukiyaki pretty easy to make. And it's a kind of food that most Americans is palatable, right? So, I mean, it was a lot of fun. You know, I kind of made a poster that looked like a woodblock print with Samurai Guy on it and just really played it up. And so that was a kind of a way of reaching out, help, having people experience something new and, and yet feeling like, you know, I'm one of their guy, one of the people, you know, right? One of the peeps and that's just where I came from. It probably benefited me more with adults than with kids. With adults showing an interest, an interest in me, saying, oh, tell me more about that. And they would register me as an interesting kid, and particularly teachers or professors in college. They would say, ah, here's an interesting kid, and I would stick in their mind. So more benefit with older people than with my age peers. I think I listen to the news differently with a lot more interest in the international news and with maybe a broader perspective on America's role in the world because I've seen both the tremendous good that our country can do and some of the troubles that we've caused or made worse. I want to thank Doug Thorpe and Dan Sims for coming on the podcast and sharing about their struggles and challenges as they reflected back on the tough formative years of being a TCK. Both dug up stuff from their memories in childhood, and it wasn't all rainbows, unicorns, and lollipops. I learned a lot interviewing them both, and unfortunately, considerable quality material had to be cut to make this episode a manageable length. For me, the advantages of being from a foreign country include a different worldview than the typical person from Southern California. Growing up in Congo under an oppressive economic and political system, I appreciate liberty and freedom and our constitutional rights much more than the average person. I have work associates that hail from Iran, Poland, and China, and we are much more sensitive and attuned to these areas than our single culture neighbors that have lived in Orange County, California their entire lives. I can also relate to people from other countries much easier, and I'm comfortable with immigrants from other countries as I share something in common with them. And for those that I encounter that are from the African continent, there's an immediate connection. Or when I find someone that speaks French, there's a bond as well. Language is a huge bridge builder between people, unlike anything else. For the first 21 years of my life, my roots were firmly set in Congo. If you'd ask me in my early 20s, where are you from? I would have hesitated for a moment, running through my list of criteria of what I should share. But the true answer would have been Congo, Africa. If asked in my 30s in a casual setting, I'd have said Mission Viejo, California, but I grew up in Congo. And if somebody asks me now in my 50s, I'd probably say Mission Viejo, California. And the reason I'd say that is because I've been here 35 years and I have set my roots here. But if that same person pried a little bit more and said, where are you really from? I'd smile to myself, 
run through my list of criteria about the person, the setting, my desire to further a relationship with this person. And then if they pass muster, I'd say back, do you really want to know? Then I would say, you might not believe this, but I grew up in Congo, Africa. That's where I'm from. Surprise and shock would be the initial response from that person for sure. And the same questions would be asked and stories repeated as I've done at least a million and one times before. Or was this my one million and second time? So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and will join me again. Other episodes and blog articles on a variety of topics can be found at congokid.net. In addition, Life Stories by Congo Kid Podcasts can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Jeff Eels, a.k.a. Congo Kid, your humble host. Until next time, I send you off with a farewell in Lingala. Paninga Nangai, Tikala Malamu. My friends, stay well.